Sox fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones. We're going to get you guys caught up on all the action with the Ducks on this uh, current road trip, which hasn't been too friendly, but we're going to talk about some changes that uh, happened with the forward lineup, uh, some trade uh, updates that uh, Bob Murray has made some comments recently about what he's looking to do, and uh, several fan questions to get to. So we're going to cover all that. Uh, we're going to share our opinions and analysis of what's going on with the Ducks and, and you know, hopefully how they can improve uh, in this next week of games. But in this last week, the uh, Ducks continued the road trip, Eddie. They lost their first couple games uh, against Florida and Tampa Bay. And then they headed into uh, New York to face the Rangers. And they ended up dropping this one 4-1. Uh, to one. Uh, The Ducks increased their shots on goal. You know, they didn't have so many in those first two games. But here they had 44 shots on goal. Uh, only able to come up with one goal. Uh, Lundqvist was pretty good in this game, and unfortunately, the Ducks dropped the third game on the road trip in a row. Eddie, this one to New York, four to one. Yeah, and it was it was a tough one to lose because of the you know the the big margin in in shots. You know, the Ducks had forty four shots on goal to the Rangers twenty, and you know, normally you look at that without even watching the game, you say, well, Lundqvist must have been great. The Ducks got robbed in this game, but really, I you know you come out of this thinking. I honestly think the Rangers deserve to win this game, even though they only got 20 shots. I think Gibson did his best, but the out of the 20 shots they had, they had a lot of quality scoring chances, and I almost think they had more than the Ducks were able to generate with 44 shots on net. And a lot of the Ducks' chances were coming from shots from outside the, the circle or from the, from the blue line. And they got a couple quality scoring chances, and of course their best one uh, was by Silverberg, and it went in the back of the net, and it was their only goal of the game. But... It, you know, it's disappointing when we've been waiting for them to get an offense generated and they're able to generate 44 shots, but, you know, you still get outchanced by a team that only has 20 shots. And I think that was the most disappointing thing from this game. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, saw the high volume of shots. Uh, like you said, the quality wasn't there. I think another issue in this game was the power play. Uh, the Ducks had four opportunities in this game. They weren't able to cash in on any of them. They actually played, you know, a, a decent, uh, disciplined game. They only uh, gave New York Rangers one power play, which they didn't score on. So, you know, they they did okay. Uh, you know, they won the faceoff battle. They had more hits. Um, they didn't have as many turnovers. So the the Ducks had a decent game. Uh, definitely, the effort was better there as it was compared to the other two games, as far as trying to get the puck on net and trying to make chances. The, though, as you mentioned, they weren't as much of a, a quality variety. Um, but unfortunately, the Ducks came up short. They dropped this one. Uh, you know, they dropped three games in a row. And you know, we learned after this game that some things were going to have to change, Eddie. Which it was, it was kind of interesting. There was different reports after this game. We heard that the the lineups were going to change. And then we heard that the lineups weren't going to change going into the Buffalo game. And ultimately, the lineups did end up changing. And it paid off in this game against Buffalo. The Ducks came out and uh, went crazy in this game. They ended up winning this one 5-2. Uh, to two. Um, They blew away Buffalo in the third period with four goals. Uh, Corey Perry came back to life in this one, had a couple goals. And it seemed like the new line combinations uh, worked in this one, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, finally we we get to see a little bit of of the Corey Perry we're used to in this game, and 
Uh, you know, the thing we talked about before with him is he has to get back to being a pest and going to the front of the net. And he, and he did that well in this game. And obviously it showed he had the two goals, also had an assist. Uh, and, you know, he for for him to get back into it and, and get two goals in this game, I, I think it was great for him. Obviously it didn't carry over into the game against Washington, but hopefully for at least for now and, and for the games in the future, his confidence is, is at a new level for him because if, you know, like we said, if the Ducks are going to go far, he needs to be a, a big part of their offense. But, you know, I think everything clicked in this game. You know, they, they had another game with 44 shots, but in this one they were able to generate quality chances. They had a goal on the power play. Perry grabbed two, Raquel grabbed one, and then obviously Coglanos was an empty netter. And I think they played a pretty solid game. Leonard played great in this game. Gibson played great in this game. You can't fault any of them for, for the goals that were scored on them. So I think it was a, a solid effort from the Ducks. And they followed up, you know, a good offensive showing in the Rangers game where they weren't getting great chances and they were able to step up their game in this one against the Sabres. Yeah, and in case you missed it, the way that the lines were changed, uh, it was it was kind of interesting. It drew a lot of comments from a lot of people. We'll talk more, uh, you know, in depth about it during the fan question segment. But just so you know, the, the way that the line, the forward lines uh, were changed is you had Verment, Getzloff, and Silverberg on one line. You had Verment moving uh, to the wing position. Cogliano and Kessler stayed together with Shaw joining them. And then the uh, other third scoring line was Raquel in the center with Perry and Richie. And then the rest of the guys filled out the fourth line, which is pretty much uh, Camarosa, Bull, Thompson, and Casse for these last couple games. But anyways, uh, you know, before we go into a, a lot of this, I mean, I, I think it you know worked out in this game, Eddie. I mean, you saw Perry come back and play well. Uh, I know a lot of people, even myself, was concerned about Silverberg being uh, moved away from Kessler. But I like what I saw. I mean, I know it was just this game that they, you know, they won four to. I'm sorry, excuse me, they won five to two in this game, and then they scored four goals in the loss to Washington. But I'm really curious to see what the Ducks will do going forward because I, I like what I saw in these last two games with this uh, new forward lineup. Yeah, and really, sometimes you do just need to change things up, and and I don't know if they end up doing this for a, a longer period of time, but it's definitely something that they can experiment with, and that they're gonna have to experiment with going forward, um, with the Ducks and how we've talked about, and pretty much everybody's talked about how their offense has struggled, um, in the second half of the season so far. You know, the fact that they've been able to get to nine goals over the last um, two games, obviously one of them being an empty netter, but still you're you're averaging over four goals a game in the last two. Um, so I think it's it's worth giving it a shot going forward in the next few games, try it out against Minnesota uh, and try to go out against Florida, try to go out against L.A. And if it keeps working and they can generate more offense, I, I think it's a good thing. And we've talked about this before. We talked about it last year when we split up Getzlaff and Perry and the fact that now teams have to mark you as a three or a four line team because you've got guys who can make a difference on each line. you got Perry on one line. With Raquel, you've got Getzlaff and Silverberg on another. You've got uh, Kessler and uh, Cogliano on a, on, a, on a third line. So, I mean, when you split up your offense like that, it makes you harder of a, of a team to play against. And, you know, they get more scoring chances and they get a better matchup against some of the team's weaker lines. So I think going forward, if they can continue to do that, I think that will benefit them. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did. You know, after they beat uh, Buffalo, they went into Washington and they went with the similar lineup that you and I just discussed. And, you know, this was kind of a weird game. I mean, the Ducks came out, they got down early, uh, you know, 3 nothing in the first period, which was unfortunate. You know, they had a power play goal they gave up to TJ Oshie early in this one. 
They had a couple uh, goals later in the first period. Um, they were able to rally, which was the good thing. The Ducks came back. They actually you know, tied this game up at four apiece uh, in the middle of the third period. And, you know, unfortunately gave up a, a late goal with a couple minutes left. And, you know, and it looked like the Ducks were going to get a point out of this. Instead, they ended up getting uh, nothing. But they went with this other lineup. Um, the first period, I don't know if they were asleep or tired or what, but they, they didn't really come out good then. But they did well the rest of the way. I mean, they outscored uh, Washington 4-2 to two in the uh, second and third period, not counting the, uh, the empty net goal that Washington had, obviously. But... They outplayed them for 40 minutes. I, I think that the Ducks could have just had a little bit of a better start. They, they might have been able to pull out uh, one or two points in this game, Eddie. Yeah, and, and honestly, this is a game a lot of people are expecting early on. The, the way the Caps have been dominating people at home, they've scored five goals in each of their last home games, and obviously including this one. Uh, when the Ducks were down 3 nothing, I think a lot of us said, well, I mean, you know, they've got Holtby in that. It's going to be hard for them to come back. And I think kudos to them for just getting back into this game against such a good team. It shows they can compete. But it is disappointing that they dug themselves such a big hole that they, you know, they almost got out of, but they couldn't just quite get out of. And it's disappointing because, like you said, they were the better team for 40 minutes. But unfortunately, they're so bad in the first 20 that it lost them this game. Yeah, and, and then this one was kind of a role reversal on the shots, too, Eddie. I mean, Washington was the one putting up all the shots. They had 39 in this game. The Ducks only had 22. Uh, the Ducks dominated in the faceoff, winning over 60%. But another key in this game was the special teams. Washington scored on the power play, and they also scored shorthanded. So that was another part in this game, Eddie, that was kind of the Ducks' undoing. Yeah, the shorthanded one was kind of a dagger. I mean, Silverberg was getting them back into it, and, and then obviously when it gets that shorthanded goal, and, and you, know, you could say any goal is the difference in this game, um, but that's a, that's a heartbreaker. I mean, the way they were playing and the way they continued to play in in the third period, and, and you look at uh, Zach Sanford's goal, the fifth Washington goal, that one's a heartbreaker as well because Gibson had played so well in this game to let one like that squeak by. It was disappointing, and, and you know they lost this game by slim margins. At the end of the game, they had a, a chance that Holpe guy was able to get a stick on, and they almost tied it up at five. So it's disappointing for them to come out of a game like this with no points. I'm hoping that that gives them a little bit more, you know, get some anger, get some fired up for the next few games. They're able to get so close to being one of the best teams in the league, and they just couldn't quite, uh, you know, bring it out in the end. Yeah, and and we saw too in this one a, a little bit of I guess controversy if you're a Washington fan or or, or on Winnick's side, but there's a plan there where you know like we talked about Perry's going back to being a pest and he he tripped up Winnick in this game, and some people thought he slew footed him or whatnot. I didn't really I saw the replay and uh, reviewed it a couple times of it. I don't think that was necessarily the case. I mean, yeah, he did trip him and whatnot, and they got into it right after that, but. Um, at least Perry's going back to doing those things, getting into people's ways and irritating people and getting under the skin of the, the other team because, it, I mean, yeah, he didn't score in this game, obviously, but he needs to maintain that role, as you mentioned earlier in the show. He needs to get back to being his normal, pesty self because if he's not going to score goals, then he needs to get the other team frustrated and off their game. I mean, you'd like to see him do both night in and night out, but at least we've seen him uh, you know, in the last two games, I think, Eddie, uh, at least come back a little bit, and I'm hoping uh, that these line changes will be, you know, the the necessary cure for that. At least uh, as we enter this next week, with uh, you know, we're going to finish out the road trip, uh, Minnesota, and then you come home, you got some big games. You know, you're going to be playing uh, L.A. and Arizona in your own division. So that was something that I kind of I liked uh, that I saw in the last two games for Perry. 
Yeah, and it's important to to play that style because that's you know that's his style of game when he's playing that game. You know, like you said, even if he's not scoring goals, he's contributing to the team. But it gives him confidence when he knows he's playing the game, the you know the game the way he's supposed to be playing it. So I think that's key for him going forward. And obviously, like you said, with the way the lineups are set up right now, he's really gelled with Raquel um, on the with Raquel at center uh, on that line so far. They've really worked well together, especially in the Sabres game. But they had their their chances in the Capitals game as well. So I think if they do continue to split up the lines, I think it's key for those two at least for now to stay together. Yeah, I agree. And that was one of the questions that we had at George asked. He asked what our opinion was of the uh, the new line changes. And you and I kind of already went over it. I like what I see. I like splitting up Getzloff and Perry. As you said, it's more of a balanced attack. Uh, I agree with some of you out there that were thinking Silverberg being split from Kessler was a little bit crazy. Um, I, you know, that, I don't know. Maybe they could go back to that line and keep it, or, or maybe they won't. But yeah, that part I was a little bit questionable about. But as far as the way that it unfolded these last two games, and again, it's it's only two games. It's a super small sample size, but you can't be upset when the team scores nine goals in two games. I mean, I, you know, they won one, lost one. Most of the time you scored nine goals in two games, you're going to win both. And I think if the Ducks can continue that type of uh, you know production um, with the, those top three lines, uh, the Ducks are going to be good. Then Carlisle just throws in whoever he wants in the fourth line, and the Ducks will just roll. Yeah, you know, I'm a fan of of splitting the lineup uh, and, and having more threats on each line. You know, it, it's it's a almost a a time in the game now where you really don't have a first, second, third, and fourth line. You just send over whatever line is available, and and most lines are are a threat now in, in the NHL. And I think when you can split up, you know, your three best players and and Getzlaff, Perry, and Kessler, and put them on separate lines, it it makes you a difficult team to match up against. And, and you know. It, it's tough when you look at uh, the Ducks' most productive line this season has been Kessler, Cogliano, and Silverberg. So it's tough to say that breaking them up is a good idea. But we've said every time that they have break broken up uh, Getzlaff and Perry that you know it's great when Perry gets to play with Raquel and Cogliano, Kessler, and Silverberg stay together. But most of the time, Getzlaff doesn't get to be put with anybody who can put the puck in the back of the net. And I think putting Silverberg with Getzloff is really key for him to have success on any line that he's put on where he's not with Perry or he's not with Raquel. He needs somebody on his line that can finish. And I think putting Silverberg on that line definitely helps him out there. I mean, if you keep the the Kessler-Silverberg-Cogliano line together, then you've put him with maybe what, uh, with Shaw or with Cachet or with Richie or somebody else. And, and really, I think it's beneficial for Getzlaff to have somebody on his line that, that can put the puck in the back of the net. Yeah, you, you brought up a good point in there, Eddie, too. I, I think breaking it up, like you said, is with this Ducks team, when you have this kind of a lineup, there really isn't a number one line. I mean, before, it's been Cogliano, Kessler, and Silverberg for a majority of the season. Other teams know that. Also, that line, you know, gets the burden of playing defense as well, which, I mean, they've been able to do it. But, you know, after some point, it's difficult to want to have a line out there that's going to score and play defense for 60 minutes. That's not an easy thing to do night in and night out. So I think your point of them putting out the three lines, uh, Getzloff, Kessler, and Perry, all in separate ones, makes it difficult for other teams to figure out what they're going to do. And like you said, putting Silverberg with uh, Getzloff makes him a little bit more dangerous. And we've seen um, Getzloff pick it up a little bit recently too. So 
that's a, a key for this team, I think, going forward. I mean, there's other things you and I are going to talk about because we've got a, a ton of fan questions about trades. But like you said, I think that balanced attack, uh, maybe even moving Kase up uh, with Kessler Cogliano, that might be another option to try as well and put Shaw back on the fourth line. That's maybe something that I would tweak in there if they were going to do anything. Um, another added bonus with this line too, Eddie, uh, this forward lineup is that uh, you have Vermette and Getzloff on one line. So you have two centers to rotate in and out of that line. Uh, and, and now that we have Thompson back, you don't have to worry about, you know, having Vermette necessarily at center. So that's another added bonus, too, with this, this uh, new lineup. Yeah, and, and Vermette does a lot of his damage uh, when the Ducks are able to put him out in, in key situations. You know, he usually gets put on a defensive face-off or to win an offensive face-off. So that's sometimes where you see the lines actually get split up a bit. And, and playing him on the wing, I get it's, it's kind of contradictory. I mean, he's on the team to win face-offs, so playing him on the wing doesn't make a ton of sense. But he still is out there to win face-offs. Like, we see him in all the key situations most of the time. If not Kessler, then it's Vermette, uh, either shorthanded on the power play, um, in, like I said, in the defensive zone and the offensive zone. So I think, like you said, with him and Getzloff on, on the first or on a line together, it gives you more flexibility there. Obviously, Kessler on the, the other line. And I think playing Raquel at center gives him a little bit more freedom and we've seen him and how he's gelled with Perry. He has a lot more space out on the ice to make plays and hopefully that can help him uh, increase his assist total on the season as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, with everything you said, I you know this is one of the things that I hope the Ducks will do uh, moving forward uh, to improve. Obviously with this road trip not being so good, you know, the Ducks going one, three and one so far. Now the other part of this, which we've talked about this and um, there was some news about it actually today uh, from a couple of different sources. They had talked about uh, Bob Murray and the Ducks making trades and you know the position that the Ducks are in and, and how they would react. And I like the news that I heard today, Eddie, uh, about Bob Murray basically saying that he was not going to go after rental players. He's already talked to other teams, obviously with the trade deadline now just uh, you know just over two weeks away. Uh, you know everybody's gearing up. Everybody's trying to get. Uh, some kind of you know edge or feeling as far as what other GMs are looking for or which ones are, are going to make moves or not going to make moves. And I think that's key. I mean, we saw this last year. The Ducks had Piranum again. They played significant roles last year, but they left the team. They were gone. And it was unfortunate. I mean, they weren't the, the, the biggest trades of the world, but still, the Ducks are in this situation this year, and they have so much depth and talent on the blue line that – they're going to have to figure it out. I mean, we've talked about Botnan. Um, obviously, uh, Murray's mentioned getting phone calls on Theodore and Montour as well. So he's got a lot to offer to any team out there that's going, okay, I need to upgrade my blue line. You should be calling Bob Murray right now. But if you're going to be calling him, don't be throwing him some cheap rental deal. And, and I think that's a, a key point in Murray's stance. And I, and I like that, Eddie. I, I don't want the Ducks to give away a roster spot for someone that's only going to be here for two months. Yeah, and I think you know that effectively takes guys like Patrick Sharp and Jerome McGinley uh, and Thomas Vanek and, and guys of that nature off the board, and and I think it's a good move. I, I mean, the Ducks are at a certain point in, in their uh, development as a team right now that you know the the window is closing, and and if you bring in a guy like Patrick Sharp or Thomas Vanek for a roster player, and they're here for one season, and they go somewhere else next season, and if you don't win the cup, you've wasted part of your future 
and bringing in a guy who's not going to stick around in the organization. So I think it's a good move, and it's a smart move uh, by by Murray. I think it's one we kind of expected that he would lean towards. He's mentioned it before how he wants to bring in a guy that he can control he can, with term, a younger guy that can be a part of this team for the future. Um, but the interesting thing I I kind of take from this as well is you, you look at guys that we've talked about before in, in Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat. There are RFAs at the end of the season, so it'll be interesting to see if he decides to take guys like that off the board as well. Um, you know, obviously they're in a different type of rental, as in you know they're they're restricted free agents. You'd have a little bit more time to sign them, but it'll be interesting to see if he decides to take guys like that off the board, and if this kind of opens up his pursuit in say a Gabriel Landeskog or Matt Duchesne or uh, William Nylander, which Pierre Lebrun actually talked about recently on Leafs, uh, Leafs Lunch um, on TSN. They were mentioning how the the Ducks would sh- be sure to get calls on guys like you mentioned in Theodore and Montour, and, and how if the Leafs were looking to bring, bring in a guy like that, they'd have to be looking at either moving James Van Riemsdyk or, or moving William Nylander, and I'm sure those are two guys uh, with the comments that he's made that Murray would be interested in. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this defensive core and you look at, you know, the players that are out there, uh, we know Cam Fowler pretty much, you know, 180, not going anywhere. It's played, you know, out of his mind this season. So he's staying. Uh, obviously, Lindholm has been a franchise player that Murray's referred to a bunch of times. Uh, BX has got the no movement clause. And Josh Manson, I'm pretty sure they're going to keep him as well. So you narrow the field down of what the Ducks can offer out there. And in terms of players, I mean, you have Votnin who, uh, by the way, he did skate today in uh, full practice, and they're saying he may be available in the game against Minnesota, so we'll have to see, but at least he's back skating and, and did a, a, a you know, full workout. So a little update on him. But you, you have him, you have Theodore, you have Montour, and uh, they mentioned this too. You and I mentioned this too. Uh, Eric Stevens mentioned in his article too. They have Stoner, which you can, you can try to move, which we all know we tried to do the waiver move earlier in the season. That didn't work. So... Those are the kind of the guys that you have. Um, I, I, I think if it was me, I would try to go with Botnan because I'd rather keep Montour and Theodore for the future. They're, they're players that are, are, are outstanding now but are going to be that much better, and they have uh, more, you know, a couple more years on Botnan uh, as far as the playability and, and time, we would hope, you know, knock on wood, uh, injuries and all that. Um, the only other option is you try to get rid of Stoner, you try to unload that on a team that, that's looking just to take on cap, which I don't know if that's even going to happen. So to me, uh, Vaughton seems a priority. Secondary would be um, Theodore Montori try to do something with a salary dump on Stoner. That's kind of where I, I think that the Ducks are at in their position right now, Eddie, as far as what, what they're looking to move out. Or yeah. n- maybe not move out, but what's available to other teams. Yeah, and I think it's a 180 from where we saw them at the beginning of the season where they would have to make a move and they wouldn't really be dealing from a position of power. And I think that's kind of switched now with them freeing up a little bit more cap space and the desperate need for defensemen around the league. I mean, there's a lot of teams looking for defensemen. And, you know, if I had to pick two teams that are going to be fielding the most calls at the deadline, I would have to say Colorado, obviously, with Duchesne and Landeskog apparently on the market, but I think the Ducks are right up there with the players that they have available, either Votnin or Montour or Theodore, and the need for defensemen around the league. And I think it'll be interesting to see which way they go with that. I mean, you look at probably the top one of the top free agent, uh, sorry, free agents and trade deadline targets for for this uh, trade deadline is Kevin Shattenkirk, and it's it's a stretch, but 
the Ducks could almost command more for a guy like Montour or Theodore Votnin than Kevin Shattenkirk could get, which would give them the best option for dealing a defenseman at the deadline, something we didn't think they would have at the beginning of the season, and now they might have some of the best trade bait at the the deadline. So I think it's a it's a good position for them to be in right now. You know, they don't have to make a move. They've got some cap space and they're dealing from a position of power. So anything they get in return is going to be good for for a good piece for them to build on in the future. Yeah, I agree. And I th- I think if they're able to move one or two of those players and bring in a player like you talked about like a Landeskog, someone that's going to come in and be on the team for, you know, a few seasons, or, or maybe you do get someone that's uh, you know an RFA in a, a year or two somewhere in there. I mean, maybe at the end of the season, that's a little bit of a risk unless you know they're pretty sure that they can get some kind of a deal worked out. Also, again, the you know cap uh, space plays into this, which is why Votnin, to me, would be the most likely of everybody because he's got the highest of those four names that we mentioned. Obviously, Stoner's up there too, but also Stoner's uh, you know been injured, so that that's kind of making it a hard situation to move him out. Just as same with uh, Simone Dupre, we don't know when he's going to be back or if he's going to be back. Unfortunately, so that's kind of where we sit. Um, you know, another uh, question kind of related to this that Chase asked about, he goes, sh- you know, do the Ducks need to make a trade? Should they make a trade for a, a forward? Is it necessary? In my opinion, I say yes, it is necessary. You have this gold mine of defensemen. You're in the driver's seat, like you mentioned, Eddie. Um, you can get a decent trade done and get someone to help this team because you and I have discussed this before. This team's going to make the playoffs. They're playing fine. I mean, you know, obviously this road trip's been a little bit of a bump, but with these new line changes, whatnot, we've seen them, you know, a, a resurgence in the scoring. So I, I'm not worried about this team making the playoffs, but. If they really want to make a run, if I'm Bob Murray, I'm going to make a move, Eddie. Yeah, and I th- I would um, if I was in the situation. Uh, obviously, it, it's a tough one to be in. Um, they don't have to. It's it's you know it's tough to say you would move a guy like Montour and Theodore right now if somebody came in with a great offer. Um, because you don't know what type of player they're going to be. And, and you, most of the time, the guy you're going to be getting in return, you don't know, unless it's a roster player, what type of player they're going to be as well. So it, it's, a, it's a tough trade to make. A lot of these GMs, um, you never see guys move younger players like these unless they have to. And, and that's why it's it's tough for me to grasp onto the idea that Bob Murray is going to m- just feels like he has to move Montour, he has to move Theodore. I think if a GM comes away, comes in and blows him away with an offer, or he feels like it's going to make this team a lot better for the playoffs. Then yes, they make a deal. Uh, but you know, I would like to see them. I, I think, like you said, this team needs that little boost to, to get them farther than just making the playoffs. If they want to contend for the Stanley Cup, I think they need to add another top six forward. Um, into this lineup and they have the assets to do it whether they do it or not I I think you know that remains to be seen and I think a lot of it depends on how they perform in these next five or six games and and with that another common thing that's come up and you know I when I go to the games I talk to the fans there uh, this question comes up and we had another fan ask it uh, Ryan asks about whether or not the Ducks should try to trade Perry <laughs> and I, I get this question a lot and I, and I bring it up and I mean yeah I, I do tend to you know I try to not take it too seriously because you know people have to realize he also has a no movement clause I mean he has to agree to whatever kind of trade that's going to happen and yes he has not played as well this season I mean you and I have 
we've talked about that I, probably on every single show we've done since, you know, like week three or four of the season after he stopped scoring. But uh, the Ducks aren't going to do that. They're not going to they're not going to move out a big player. I, I highly doubt that you're going to see something like that. I, I, I really think it's going to go back to the defense and that's where it's going to be. Um, and if the things with this lineup can work out the way they are and Perry can and can, like we said, do what he did the last couple of games, get on the other team's skin. He got a couple of goals. He's going to be fine. I, I, I don't see it happening. I know people are frustrated with the way he's played because he hasn't scored as much, which I'm just as frustrated as everybody else in that regard. But that's just not likely. I mean, it's just way too much of a salary. That's, I mean, period, pretty much. And, and he's still an impact player for the Ducks. I mean, what are you going to get in return that is better than Corey Perry? I, I mean, this team isn't rebuilding. There's no need to move out your sec, your best or your second best player on the team. There's just it would it doesn't make any sense. And I understand people's frustration, like you said, with the way he's playing this season. He's playing a different style from that we're used to to seeing him play. You know, we pay him to score goals, and and pretty much every season dating back to 2010, he scored at least 30 goals. So it's disappointing to see him sitting at 11 right now. But I think it's a little bit early to say that he needs to be traded. I mean, this is his first scoring slump that's lasted this long in pretty much his career. So I, I don't think we have to jump to conclusions and say, let's trade Corey Perry. And, and like you said, the, the headache of getting into maybe his new no-move clause and trying to move an $8.6 million salary, it, it just it feasibly makes no sense. It, it just wouldn't happen. Yeah, it's too difficult. I mean, that's not going to happen. And like you said... Yeah, he's not having as good of a season. We, we all know that. I mean, but this isn't like the third season in a row that he's not playing well. Obviously, I'm frustrated just as much as some of you are out there, uh, especially in talking to uh, you know a lot of the fans of the game. I, I get it. But I am still going to go back to it's the defense, and that's what the Ducks are going to have to, or primarily Murray is going to have to use when he's looking to make these trades. Those are the players that he's going to look at. Um, you know, Bieksa has a no-movement clause, so he's not going anywhere. As we talked about, Stoner and Dupre have uh, you know got their injury issues too. So it gets narrowed down, and you know Vatnin to me is the one that makes the most sense. You and I have talked about that before. Um, Theodore and Montour are big risks. You know, as, as you said, you don't know what kind of player you're necessarily going to get. I like the, what I've seen from both, but you don't know: are they going to be a good player? Or are they going to be a great player? And and to me. I, I rather move Vatnin and then see what happens with Theodore and Montour in the next couple seasons because I still think that they have room to grow and that they have a bright future ahead of them. You know, I could be wrong. I mean, that's just that's just the nature of the game. Sometimes you go with the player and that player underperforms, and sometimes you go with them and they exceed expectations. So, like you mentioned, Murray's in a tough spot, but in terms of you know who's holding the chips here, he's got more of the chips that other teams need uh, for defensemen. Yeah, and if you're going to move either of those guys, you move them thinking that they're going to be an exceptional player in a couple of years. You don't move them thinking that uh, they might not pan out. You, when, if you're going to move Theodore, you're going to move Montour, you're expecting that these guys are going to be top four, top two defensemen in the next few seasons. And I, and I realize top two is a stretch for either of these two players, but uh, on mostly any other team in the NHL right now, both, I, both Theodore and Montour, I, I strongly believe, would be playing full-time minutes in the NHL. And just with how deep the Ducks' blue line is, you know, the only reason Montour is playing right now is because Vaughn is injured, and he's taken full advantage of. He's playing great right now, and, and it's great to see him do so well with the Ducks. 
And I think all that does is boost his value and, and it just increases the amount of phone calls that, that Murray receives on a daily basis. And I think it'll be interesting to see the way they go. And, and I would like to keep Montour and I'd like to keep keep Theodore and, and give him a couple more seasons and see how they progress. Um, because you never know what they could turn out to be. I think we all expect Montour and Theodore are going to be at least top four defensemen in the league, but you never know with a couple more seasons under about what type of what type of player they could be. And if you're going to decide to move one, you better be getting a forward who you think is going to be just as good uh, in return. Yeah, I, you're, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly the way it's got to go. And, you know, we've had more questions about the defense. A lot of people, are, you know, are asking about defensemen and what's going to happen. Uh, another one, <laughs> this one's kind of funny, but but we had Alex ask the question, and he says that he's serious about this question. He wants to know why Bieksa has not been scratched and why there's zero accountability for him. And <laughs> I, you know what, Alex, you and, again, a lot of the people at the game, uh, they would agree with you. And it's interesting when you look at, at the, the players on defense, Eddie, because this is what we've been talking about for most of the show. But you've seen it when other players do something. You know, Theodore gets benched for this or Montour for this. We've seen uh, Botnan, you know, get scratched as well. And we've seen different things like that. But it seems like BX always flies under the radar. And, you know, we saw some poor play in that opening uh, period against Washington. So I think we mentioned this on the podcast way earlier in the season. But, yeah, if, I, if I'm in that position, some of these games, I, I would definitely have had Bieksa sit out at least two, three times this season just to kind of give him a wake-up call because he's got that no-movement clause. And it seems like he's just, you know, I'm not saying he's not trying, but there's just a certain games that he just comes out and he just comes out flat. Yeah, it's safe to say at some games he looks like he's 35 years old. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's the Washington game was a great example of that he just looked like he wasn't there. He didn't show up to, to half the game. And, and I don't know. I honestly don't know why they sat. And the only thing I can think of is he's really the only leader that this blue line has if you're going by age and, and leadership in, in, the, in the dressing room. You know, somebody's got to lead this blue line. Even though I think the younger guys can probably do a little bit better, I think Lindholm can lead this blue line and Fowler can lead this blue line. But maybe you don't bench him because that sends a, a wrong message to to the locker room. I don't know. I, I mean, he is a veteran on this team. Yeah, maybe that's another reason that we don't see Jared Bull get sent down too much. These are <laughs> veteran presence presences in the locker room, so maybe that's why we see them. I don't know, but his play definitely warrants. Uh, at least a game where he can sit out and somebody else can step in. I, I'd rather have Holzer step in. I, though I've liked what I've seen from him this season uh, in the few games that he's played. Uh, if Votnin comes back, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I think Montour deserves a spot over BX. I think Theodore deserves a spot over BX. Obviously, Manson and Fowler and, and Lindholm do. So Votnin comes back. I, I don't know how you take Montour or Theodore out of the lineup to, to keep playing Kevin Bieksa if he keeps struggling. Uh, that's only my opinion. I don't really know. The only thing I could think of of why he still is in the lineup is because he is a veteran presence in the locker room. Yeah, that that could be a point, Eddie. I mean, you look at the Ducks defensemen, and the majority of the defensemen are 25 years or younger. You know, I mean, he's the only one that's 30 plus. So maybe that is part of it. Or maybe Kess Boss is back there laying the law down. I mean, you never know. I mean, obviously, he's the leader, too. So maybe he has some input in that. But I don't disagree uh, with Alex. I, I agree. And Alex, you're not alone. There's other fans out there that feel the same way. They feel like uh, BX has had some poor games and he deserves to be benched. And, yeah, you know, I think you should. You know, once in a while, a player needs a timeout. Um, we've talked about Perry too, and we've said that he's needed a timeout here and there. So the, you know, there's certain players that once in a while you you give them that, and 
most of the time they're going to respond. I mean, I, I know sometimes they get upset and get bent out of shape, but guess what? If you're not performing, the coach tells you you're, you're getting the night off, then you know what? Me personally, I'm going to go, okay, what do I need to do to get myself back in gear and not be doing stupid stuff? You know, I mean, that's for lack of a better term. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, Eddie, but th- that, that's just our decision, uh, what you and I agree upon. And I, I think that would be a smart move especially given the, the youth like you talked about you have theodore you have montour her up now playing a bunch uh, you get botten back you definitely have the ability to do that and i agree with you i like what i've seen from holzer holzer hasn't played a lot of games and i think a lot of people don't talk about holzer um he doesn't score a lot of goals obviously he only got that one this season which is the first one in a couple years but i i think he's been a key role player for the ducks and i think he's been overlooked at times too yeah, and, and you know this isn't to criticize players and say they don't deserve to to play these minutes or anything like that. I think BX at times this season has done okay, um, but you know no player should be should be be able to not be scratched. I, I mean, for I, it's hard to explain that. I mean, people were saying that Perry should be scratched because he wasn't scoring goals. He was still playing well and producing points for this team. People are saying he, he should be scratched. We've seen Vatanen get scratched for having a bad game and he's playing a, a better season than Bieksi is. And, you know, the only thing I think, again, I keep reiterating the same point, but I think it has to come down to the fact that he's a veteran presence and, and considered a leader in this locker room. And, and does it send a bad message when you scratch a guy like that, and, and what does it do for the locker room if you if you do sit him out? So I think that's what it has to come down to. At least that's what it looks like from the outside looking in. Um, but yeah, it, it is curious. I think there are guys who deserve to play over Bieksa with the way he's been playing as of late. Yeah, and you won't get any argument from me on that. Um, let's take it, if we look at the trade scenario, and, and let's kind of play devil's advocate, let's say the Ducks don't move any defensemen. Nothing happens with that, okay? And we know that the uh, expansion draft is going to come up. We've got a couple questions about the expansion draft from a few different fans about, you know, who would we see being gone? And basically we'll look at it from the standpoint of, you know, this is the roster the way it is right now and then say, I mean, I still think it's going to change a little bit. But if this is the roster now, come the end of the season, Eddie, you know, who do you think on the on this team the Ducks would lose? I, to me, I, I look at Josh Manson in terms of defense. I think that the Ducks would do the seven forward, three defensemen, as we talked about. We already know that Bieksa was going to um, waive his no movement for the purposes of the draft only. And the Ducks would keep Fowler, Lindholm, and Botnan most likely. Again, if no changes were made, to me, that's what I see. And I think Manson would be the most likely one to go. What do you think? Do you think it would be him? Or do you think someone else on defense or maybe a forward? Um, you know, I, I think it has to be Josh Manson. I don't think they go the route of just protecting the eight players. You would risk losing either a Votnin or a Fowler or Lindholm or Raquel or Silverberg. You wouldn't be able to protect all those guys with the with having to protect Cogliano and having to protect Kessler, uh, Silverberg. Or sorry, Kessler, Getzlaff, and Perry. So I think they have to go the the route, like you said, with the the seven forwards and the three defensemen and the goalie. And then if you don't make any moves, that exposes Josh Manson. And if I was, if I was the 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 Vegas team, I mean, if I saw a guy like Josh Manson available, I'd be on that in a heartbeat. I mean, yeah, if he if he's available, they're they're gonna pick him. There's there's no doubt. I don't think they pick a guy like Bexer or or Vermat or uh, you know any of the other guys who'd be exposed over Josh Manson. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think that this. Kind of goes back to our point about what Murray would do because if Murray was to move Vatnin, then 
that's one less person you have to worry about. Then the Ducks could protect Josh Manson. They could protect Manson, Lindholm, and Fowler and not have to worry about that issue. Then they would go protect the seven forwards, obviously the three that you mentioned, uh, Gatsloff, Kessler, and Perry, uh, with their no-movement clauses. Then you would protect Cogliano, Raquel, Silverberg, and then probably whoever that new player is, if he's a player that's uh, you know that meets the conditions and, and whatnot of the expansion draft, which is what I think uh, would be the ideal situation because then you're able to keep all your defensemen. You only expose BXA, which you said no one's probably going to take him. And if they did, you know, obviously a lot of you out there we talked about would be happy anyway. So that would take care of that problem. And then you would only have a couple of the forwards exposed, which wouldn't be a big deal. I mean, Vermint would maybe be one of the ones that we'd kind of be concerned. But other than that, that would really solve that whole problem, Eddie. If, if the Ducks were able to move Votnin and get a, a, a forward, that would cure the whole problem. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but if I'm looking at the scenario, I'm looking at my defensemen, I'm looking at the expansion draft, you know, these are all the things that the GMs have to look at this time around, which makes this trade deadline, you know, for lack of a better term, a pain in the ass for the GMs because there's just so many factors to look into, but that's my probably number one option I would do, Eddie. Yeah, and one thing you can't really take off the table is either is the Ducks might consider trading Josh Manson at the deadline to avoid losing him for nothing. And maybe if they don't do it at the deadline, they do it before the draft, before the expansion draft itself and, and trade him to a team that can protect him. Because I doubt they want to lose him for nothing Nothing if we uh, don't see them move any of the, uh, you know, obviously Votnin. If we don't see them move Votnin, then I think they would explore that option. Um, another reason that it, it also doesn't make sense to trade a guy like Brandon Montour or Shea Theodore either is that doesn't help you in that in that aspect. You you know if you trade Brandon Montour, that doesn't help you keep Josh Manson. Uh, I mean you still have to protect the three defensemen in front of him, which are going to be Lindholm, Vatnin, and Fowler, and you still expose him for Vegas to pick him up. So it's an interesting play on the the trade deadline right now and how that plays into it is is. Maybe you end up trading Josh Manson instead of, of trading Sammy Vaughn if you can't work out a deal just so you don't lose him for nothing. I, I don't think it's a deadline deal per se and maybe more of a deal that you see before the draft if they aren't, aren't able to move a guy like Sammy Vaughn in, but um, it'll be definitely something to keep our, our eyes on for the trade deadline and after. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, I didn't really think about that. Ed. You're right. I mean, maybe the situation is you don't, you're not able to make a deal with Vaughn you don't want to give up your young guys and Theodore Montour, and then Manson maybe be one to look at too. I mean that that is a good possibility. I mean, I, I think you're right. I don't I don't think that you necessarily want to trade him away. But if you can't make some kind of other deal, and it looks like he's going to be the odd man out, you don't want to lose him for nothing because you know Josh Manson's an outstanding defenseman. I mean, we all know that he he's just uh, as far as stay home defenseman come, he's one of the best upcoming young uh, ones available. So. That is another possibility. That's a good question. You know, we also um, did talk about um, Bernier, too, as well, which we'll see. I mean, that was also mentioned out there. There were a couple articles about him, and we talked about that two podcasts ago as far as the Ducks trading him, getting rid of that cap space, and bringing up Enroth. And, you know, Enroth has been on fire in San Diego. The goals have been winning almost every game. Um, so that's another possibility that you and I talked about a couple uh, shows ago to look at, too. So there are some options. Um, whether it's Votnin, you know, Theodore Montour, Manson, uh, Bernier, you know, Bernier may be one. I mean, I don't know. It, 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 I think it just really comes down to Votnin first to me. I think whatever happens with that is then going to set the tone. If that doesn't work, I think then it's, okay, who do we look at? Do we look at another defenseman, Bernier, or what? I think that's kind of how it's going to go, Eddie. Yeah, and I think they 
do something and, and you know it's tough to say because the situation the ducks are in right now you know, one deal kind of relies on another one and, and so forth like that and 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 there's a lot of issues with cap around the league and and teams of course are looking at the expansion draft so it's a lot of outside issues that are working into any trade right now so It'll be an interesting trade line, trade deadline to, to keep an eye on. Probably one of the most interesting ones we've seen in a while for the Ducks. Um, you know, they're kind of motivated to make a deal if you don't want to lose Josh Manson. Uh, also motivated to make a deal if you want to grab that top six forward to make a push for the playoffs, and and they actually have the means to do it. So it'll be interesting to see which way they go. And of course you know the most likely option and probably the most beneficial one for the Ducks is Sammy Vaughn and and I want to say too I I mean we've talked about Sammy Vaughn a lot um with the the trade rumors and everything all the questions we get asked and and we don't want him to get traded I I mean it's just when we're talking about these types of options it's just the most likely one and, and the one that makes the most sense for the Ducks obviously they're not going to move Lindholm and they're not going to move Fowler and then you kind of have to look at who's left, and the only real two options are Josh Manson and Sammy Votnin. So I think it's not so much that we want him to get moved, it's just we're kind of focusing on the most likely option for the Ducks right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's one thing that people have to take into account. When we talk about you know our certain opinions and analysis of different things with the team, it's not that we dislike a certain player or we want a certain player. We look at the performance of the player, um, if it's this kind of situation, we look at the cap space too as well and those kind of issues, and you kind of have to take that all into account. And I think these are some decisions that Murray's going to have to look at. And that kind of brings us to our last question. I'll kind of wrap up the show. We have, uh, you know, Ricky asks, how did the Ducks improve? How do they get, uh, you know, closer to the top of the division and basically uh, more solid for um, the playoffs? And I think all these things you and I talked about in this whole show are, are things that are going through Murray's head. Um, you know, the expansion draft rules. Uh, like you said, uh, are you going to give up a Manson? Are you going to give up a Vatanen? Uh, how are you going to try and fix this so you don't lose somebody for nothing in that expansion draft? And at the same time, how do you get somebody that you want that's going to help this team? Uh, you know, I do still think it's necessary for the Ducks to get another scoring forward. And I think if they can get one that's that's able to be, you know, protected in the draft and then they're able to either protect Vatanen or Manson out of it, I think that's the way that the Ducks need to go. And I think like we talked about earlier in the show too, Eddie, I think that these new forward lines, uh, at least those those top three, like you said, they're kind of there's not really one, two, three. They're kind of all over the place, which is how the Ducks uh, played last year and this year, really. There's not, you know, not been too much of a one team outside the Kessler line. Obviously, that line's kind of been dominant. But the Ducks are trying to roll with three different lines. Those are really the things that I look at. Um, making hopefully that one deal, uh, going with this type of lineup, and I think the Ducks will be good going forward. Yeah, and I think that's what it comes down to. I, you know, I we talked about it before too. I think they're they're obviously a good enough team to make the playoffs, and I think a lot of things right now, if they keep the roster the same, would have to go right for them uh, to make a push for the Stanley Cup. There's there's you know they're just not a good enough team up front right now to to make that push. But I mean, hopefully they they do something at the deadline. They they can pick up a four that can boost this team to to another level, and that they can compete with teams like the Washington Capitals and the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Minnesota Wild and and the Chicago Blackhawks and, and the, you know all the teams that are contending for the cup right now. Hopefully we can make that move that pushes up into that level. And we we hope that last season we saw Perron, we got McGinn, we got Brendan Peary. We were hoping that would push us up into the next level, and those were more so rental deals that didn't work. But now you look at some of the players available this season 
and you got guys with uh, with term younger guys who are becoming available all result pretty much of the expansion draft and, and the demise of some teams i.e. the Colorado Avalanche so <laughs> i think it's an interesting situation for them uh, i'm hoping they can they can pick some up and and make them better for the playoffs but you never know it's it's coming up close now we've we've got to, about a couple weeks to go before the trade deadline so it's going to get interesting in the next couple weeks yeah, and on that day, you know, uh, Eddie and I will be available. We'll be, uh, you know, tweeting and going over everything. We may even do something live. We haven't figured it out yet, but we'll definitely have updates on everything that's going on that day as we've done the last uh, three or four years now. So we'll be covering all that. Um, the only thing left really is this week, Eddie, the uh, the Ducks have their final game on the road trip against Minnesota. Obviously, they've had a tough time with them. Um, that's going to be a, a game where we hope that they can pull it out and at least, you know, get uh, two wins on this road trip at least you know get them to two three and one which isn't great but it would be better than you know one four and one or one three and two but they're going to go with that and then they're going to come home they're going to face florida la and arizona to start in this next week uh so it's a big homestand uh, they got florida a team that they sh- they well i would say that they should be but they didn't last time but anyways that's a game that i would look for them to hopefully win you've got la coming to town on sunday and i'll be there for that one and obviously that one's going to be a battle i mean la hasn't played as well but it's the ducks and the kings we all know how those games go and then arizona so a couple of four-point games there in the pacific division what are your thoughts on these games as this uh, next week unfolds eddie yeah, I think the obviously the toughest game is going to be the the next one tomorrow against Minnesota in Minnesota. That's going to be the toughest one, and obviously the last game of the road trip as well. And then they go back home, and like you said, they play Florida, they play LA, and then they go on the, a short road trip and play Arizona. But you'd you'd have to look at the Minnesota game and say that's going to be the toughest one. That's going to be another test for them right after uh, coming off and playing a a decent forty minutes against the Capitals. Hopefully they can carry that on and play a good game against the wild um but i think the interesting games are going to be the two games at home here and you know the florida panthers have started to roll again after getting barkov and huberto back so that'll be a big game for the ducks their first game um at home and like it's since about three weeks now so hopefully they can get off to a good start there and then like you said this four point game here against the kings you, you know you're playing in a honda center but it's still going to be a hostile environment so that's going to be a tough game for them too but you know, two big Pacific Division matchups, like you said. I, the Arizona one, again, not as much because Arizona's not really in the playoff race anymore, but that Kings matchup is, is going to be big. The Kings are struggling to hold on to a playoff spot right now, and if the Ducks can get a win in regulation, then that's going to really hurt their chances uh, to making a push for that top three. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's going to be, you know, I think I have a little bit more of a positive outlook on this week. I mean, obviously the road trip, a lot of us are disappointed in the way that the Ducks had played. But you look at the lineup changes, as we discussed, and the way that they played in the last two games. And if the Ducks are going to score four or five goals a game, guess what? They're going to win most of those games. I mean, obviously, you know, probably the one that they wouldn't is Washington, which they didn't, and maybe like a Pittsburgh, those kind of, you know, teams. But they're going to win most nights. And if they can do that again, um, it's going to be tough. Minnesota you know, has played them tough and, and kept them um, down on the scoring. But I look for this team to, to really ramp it up here. I, I do think that they're going to make a strong push here in the next couple weeks. We saw the same thing happen last season. Uh, obviously, last season they dug themselves a bigger hole, and the Ducks are still in a good spot right now battling it out for you know, one of those top three spots. So with that, we'll be back in a week uh, after these four games are done. And then hopefully the following week we'll have some kind of a, a show where we talk about you know the uh, the trade deadline. We'll um, you know not only talk about the Ducks but of course all the uh, other teams around the league. So with that, I hope you have a good week. 
and let's go Ducks.